You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Welcome to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark and Jace. This is episode 69. I want to start off with our new giveaway. We're giving away with a new copy of Chris Hogan's recently released book titled Everyday Millionaires. We recently had Chris on the show, each received a copy of his book, and thought it would be a fun giveaway to our listeners. If that's not enticing enough, we're also adding a $50 gift card to go with it. So $50 and Chris Hogan's new book, Everyday Millionaires. To enter the giveaway, we're asking you to do two things. Join our email list at millionairesunveiled.com. And subscribe to our show and leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. We'll draw the winner towards the end of the month. Special thanks to Equity Multiple for supporting the show. One of the tried and true paths to becoming and staying a millionaire is establishing passive income streams. Perhaps the most tried and true passive income channel for savvy investors is commercial real estate. Equity Multiple connects credit investors with pre-vetted exclusive commercial real estate investments with investment minimums as low as $10,000. With Equity Multiple, you can allocate a meaningful portion of your portfolio to professionally managed commercial real estate and create a stronger, more diversified portfolio. Head to equitymultiple.com forward slash millionaires to learn more. Again, that's equitymultiple.com forward slash millionaires. Tell them Clark and Jay sent you. On last week's show, we had Andy. His current net worth of over $4 million, just mainly invested in retirement accounts, real estate, and cash. One interesting thing about Andy is he has a music royalty, which we got into and discussed on the show. Next week's episode will feature Brad from Choose FI. We discuss life hacks, financial hacks, and how to make the most of your life. We go over what it means to be financially independent and how to get there. This is an episode you won't want to miss. If you'd like to be on the show, send us an email at millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. We have a few interns working with us right now, and they surveyed several college students recently about wealth and retirement. The results were quite interesting. One thing we'll share is that the distribution between the amount needed in retirement is all over the place. Just over 30% said $1 million would be sufficient in retirement. Just under 30% said $2 million. Nearly 20% said between 5 and 10 million, and less than 5% said over 10 million. Nearly 65% said they would get there with equity investments in the public markets. Look forward to sharing you more results from these surveys as they, we find them very interesting. If you'd like to invest at our multifamily opportunities, please reach out to us at millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. We'll jump on a call to discuss the opportunities and strategy partner with a group that has a long track record of success and great returns. Also, if you'd like to go follow us on Instagram under the handle millionaires underscore unveiled to get daily insights on wealth building and retirement. Also some interesting stats and statistics about millionaires and some little kind of nuggets about our millionaires that we don't share on the show. On today's show, we have a guest interview with Sarah Falah. She is Thomas Stanley's daughter, the author of The Millionaire Next Door. She, along with her father, wrote a new book titled The Next Millionaire Next Door. We discussed the new book with Sarah and her findings and insights about millionaires. 
Next month's giveaway will feature a copy of her new book. So without further ado, let's get into the interview with Sarah. Today on the show, we have a very special guest. We have Sarah Falah, who just came out with a new book called The Next Millionaire Next Door. You might know her. She's the daughter of Thomas Stanley, the famous author of The Millionaire Next Door, The Millionaire Mind, and several other books. Sarah, do you want to just give us a little bit about what you're up to now and kind of just talk a little bit about the book launch that just came out a couple weeks ago? Yeah, sounds great. Thanks for having me on. You know, I obviously had the background with my father working in this field for so, so many years, kind of grew up around survey research. And, you know, in my professional career, I served as an industrial psychologist and really looked at how behaviors influenced future performance and characteristics like personality. Um, And so this book was really kind of a a joint venture uh, between my late father and uh, me looking at what it took to be a millionaire next door 20 years later. Was it still, you know, were the were the characteristics and behaviors still the things, you know, uh, that would allow someone to transform income into wealth? And so, yeah, that was the book. It came out on October 1st. And I'm just really excited that it's out and excited to chat with y'all today. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about about the findings and maybe some of the differences between this and the book that was originally released as A Millionaire Next Door. What what kind of stood out to you going through this research and doing this book this time around? You know, I think one of the biggest things was the fact that in 1996, when the original came out, a lot of the findings were just brand new. Um, the idea that millionaires weren't the ones driving around in Porsches and um, that they were actually frugal and working as scrap metal dealers and things like that, that was just totally unheard of at the time. And so I think today, um, in terms of what was interesting was, you know, again, there's this proliferation of information about what it takes to build wealth. But the truth is that, you know, not everyone is practicing what they should with, and that continues to be what we find today, that there are, there continue to be individuals who are making a, a great income, but have re- really little to show for it. And I think what was surprising was that despite you know, all the blogs and podcasts like yours that are out there still is it's still challenging to 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 really do the right thing and, and become financially successful. Yeah, maybe get into a little bit of that from from your research. Why is it so difficult to to convert that income into wealth and long term wealth, you know, over time? Yeah, you know, Facebook, no, that's not the, the right answer. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of different things, right? It's our, our mindset about money. It's, it's the influences around us. They're so strong. It's, it's just, um, you know, we talk about, you know, teenagers or, or middle schoolers being influenced by their friends. But the simple truth is, is that we, you know, as adults, we are too. And, you know, where we work or where we live, um, really has an influence on our consumer behaviors. And I think that that's one of the real challenges um, over time, especially as you increase your income and then start surrounding yourself with individuals who have that high income. If they're not also being frugal and disciplined, if they don't have a financial plan in place, whether they created it themselves or someone else did, getting influenced by them may, may really be uh, a challenge when, when it comes to building wealth. You know, one thing that, that you mentioned in your book that was kind of interesting, since the original Millionaire Next Door was written, there's been this whole fire movement, if you will, mm-hmm. and, and yep. all these blogs and these people that have 
said, hey, you know what, let's just challenge the status quo and start trying to retire early. And I, I believe you mentioned Mr. Money Mustache in, in your yes. book is kind yeah. of one of the first pioneers, I guess, if you will, online of that movement. How has the research that you were doing kind of played into that and this fire movement? And how has that kind of maybe skewed some of the uh, research that you've done with these millionaires? Because I'm assuming, you know, 25, 30 years ago, that just wasn't there were people that were doing that, but it just wasn't quite as normal or as open on the Internet that people were doing that. Right. You know, I would think I, I or I often think of uh, individuals that are really successful within that fire movement as sort of the subject matter experts on a lot of these behaviors that allow you to, to build wealth over time. So you, you're, you're right, though, that 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 group really wasn't wasn't a group, if you will, or, or tribe or whatever you want to call it. Back in, in the 90s, there was just really no, you know, no one had any idea you could really do that. But like you said, there are probably a few. They just weren't connected like they are today. In terms of the research that we did for this book, though, we were and we, we targeted individuals and in neighborhoods that more than likely had affluent individuals in it. So it's probably uh, less likely that we uh, included individuals that were in that fire movement because um, in many cases, uh, I think the median home price was $800,000. Well, someone in the fire movement that's 35 years old and that's retired is more than likely not living in an $800,000 house. That's just not, it, it wouldn't work out that way. But where we do see a lot of uh, individuals who are sort of pursuing that as a goal or have achieved it is in some of the research we've done with my company, DataPoint, with the mass affluent and emerging affluent individuals. So we see those folks pop up in those those studies versus when you're really targeting affluent neighborhoods. Yeah, I think that's great. And and I've read the whole book. I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was a great balance between some of the data and the analysis and then as well as some of the stories. And I thought you did a great job of, of you know, bringing in information from the fire community, the Wall Street Journal, you know, CNN money. You talk about Facebook, social media, Michael Bloomberg, you know, all these things that are so prevalent, relevant and, and prevalent in today's society. So Real quick, I just want to go through here at the beginning and in, in, in the very beginning of the book, you kind of profile who is, you know, who is the millionaire now? Who is this, yep. you know, portrait of today's millionaire? And just a couple points, you have a bunch, but just to highlight, it says we're mostly 61 year old men, about 87 percent who were either married, 70 percent or remarried. Our median income in the previous year was 250 grand. Our, our median net worth is 3.5 million. Uh, education has been critical to our success. More than 93% of us have a college degree. About 20% of us are retired. For the 80% who are not retired, we work approximately 45 hours a week. We are frugal and we budget. And and you talk about just another one here that I'm seeing as I'm looking over this. We tend to drive Toyotas, Hondas, and Fords. Right? <laughs> so you talk about how kind of the pillar here is still frugality, right? You during the research and as you've written the book, you've noticed that that hasn't changed. You're right. You know, it's it's really frugality, that discipline related to all things financial uh, that continues to be really a, a critical characteristic of those who are her, uh, su successful at building wealth and sustaining that wealth right over time. You know, it's not the most glamorous uh, concept to talk about, right? But it certainly is the case that it, it it's related to net worth. We see that in 
not only the research we did for this book, but certainly previous work that my, my father had done, as, as well as the research we do today with larger, broader samples of individuals, those who are frugal, who have a plan, who spend time monitoring their finances and kind of knowing what's going on in their financial lives are the ones that have a higher net worth regardless of how much they're making or how old they are. Yeah, I think it's super interesting. And throughout your book, you kind of compare the data, right, from this previous study to today's study and maybe how the mindset and, and that shift of the millionaires now has, has changed. Going off of that, one thing I thought was super interesting is, is you kind of profile these people and their net worth and what they do for work. And you say small business owners tend to have a higher net worth than those who work for others. And you mentioned that often they have increased traits of endurance and perseverance and focus. So was that at all? Was that surprising to you? Or how did you come to that finding that these these business owners tend to have higher net worth? Yeah, so I, I think what uh, a lot of what we find often is that when you take their expected net worth and you subtract it from their actual net worth, they tend to do a better job, if you will, at transforming income into wealth. In other words, they're more successful at that. Piece, even if they have the same uh, net worth, it's, it's really looking at that difference between what they're supposed to have and what they actually have. And you know, when we see small business owners uh, or entrepreneurs in general, you know, we talk about sort of like you said, the traits that make somebody successful in those endeavors, and they tend to run their households really the same way they're running their business. So that if they're successful in their business endeavors and they're able to manage resources and, again, set plans and goals and actually stick to them, they tend to apply that same strategy to how they manage their financial life as well. And I think that that's really what allows them to be successful. So you mentioned expected net worth, and I, I know this calculation has, has been previously mentioned, but maybe what is? how do we find out what our expected net worth should be? Yeah, so so really what, uh, you know, again, back in the millionaire next door, you know, what my father began trying to understand was, you know, how can we talk about net worth in relation to your age and income? So he came up with a formula that essentially is your age time your, times your income divided by 10. And when you do that, the expected, uh, that gives you sort of a, a marker of where maybe you should be. It's a little liberal, if you will, for individuals that are younger. So it, it kind of overestimates where you should be if you're younger. But it's a good way to judge, you know, kind of where you are today, regardless of that sort of overestimation for younger folks. Sure. Yeah. So I guess they get you maybe if you're really young and you and you have high income, right? And maybe right, you haven't exactly. had a lot of time to yep. save. But so I just I want to read a story. Kind of I'm just jumping around here because I think it would be great to just give a, a summary of the book and kind of hit on all points. But yeah, one of the stories that I, I thought was amazing. Just backing up, so your, your your father includes pieces in the book, right, or pieces that he's published on his blog, or stories that maybe people have written into him, or appreciation for the millionaire next door. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And so one of these stories I thought was super interesting was it was a, a wealthy couple that was going to meet with a, a banker, right, and develop a, a banking relationship in New York. Uh, just a paragraph I want to read. It says, shortly after the couple arrived at the private bank in New York City, the banker began telling them all about the ancillary services that clients could access, including hard-to-get theater tickets, endorsements to join upscale clubs, a list of co-ops or townhouses, townhouses for sale, art and antique purchases, and so on. 
After about 10 minutes of this, the wife pulled out a copy of the book from her large handbag. She placed it on the banker's desk and pointed to it. Then she said, this is who we are, the millionaire next door. You ought to read this if you haven't already. <laughs> I thought that was just yeah. a great story. And, and all throughout this book, you kind of have little anecdotes and stories about people that have been influenced by this book and, and or the previous book and, and probably soon to be this book and, and how it's changed their life. It's got to be extremely rewarding. Absolutely. And I think it means a lot, certainly to my to my family now that my father has passed away um, to hear these stories just like that one um, where it's like I read this, you know, I read The Millionaire Next Door in college. It completely changed my perspective on, you know, what it took to be successful. Or we have a lot of folks that continue to write us telling us that they've given their children, you know, in high school or middle school, the book and said that they'd give them $100 if they wrote report on the book and what it meant to them, you know, really trying to help them understand the differences between looking wealthy and actually being wealthy. And so absolutely, stories like this continue to come in. And it is, it's just, it's great to hear, but it's also, you know, really inspiring that, that these folks have been able to make changes within their lives as well. Yeah. And, and just another one, while we're on the story, there's a story about how your father met somebody at a reception and, and he was talking to him and, and pretty soon they started like it or they started discussing their love of cars <laughs> and, you know, how they felt about certain cars. And, and he think he asked your dad about a Corvette and, and the guy, this very wealthy individual said, oh, I can't drive a, a Corvette. And you say here, the glittering rich who drive Porsches do not want to be associated with what they perceive to be the gold chain crown. <laughs> yeah. That is, they will pay substantially more for a Porsche than buy a Corvette, which outperforms the Porsche. And your father says, I have asked which of the following three variables is the best predictor of consumption, income, net worth, or market value of the home. The market value of a home is the best of the three. If you live in a pricey home situated in blue blood estates, there is an enormous social pressure to forego performance for prestigious brands. I just thought it was interesting, right? You see all these people and, and how they live and kind of the insights and, and a lot of the people you profiled, you know, didn't live that way specifically. Yeah, that's that's a great point. I think, too, you know, this just it echoes some of the other things we talk about in the book related to all that influence of where you live on everything else that you do. And so, you know, he, he would always he was a great storyteller. Um, he, he always had a great anecdote or story that other people would share with him about about this kind of thing. But um, you know, thinking about it moving forward as you, as, as maybe your listeners think about where they might plant themselves if they haven't, you know, uh, sort of established themselves in a neighborhood or anything like that. It's important to think about all those other factors that can influence whether or not you're able to build wealth over time. And that includes kind of how other people perceive you if that's something that you care about. So yeah, definitely uh, the, the story related to the Corvette is pretty funny given that my, my dad loved Corvette. Did he have a Corvette himself? He did. He did. He That's had awesome. one. Wait, late, late in his life, he had one. Yep. So you've got a table in here in the book that goes into the sources of income for millionaires. And the majority, overwhelming majority, obviously mention a salary of some sort. And then after that, it kind of goes the next highest are, are, are dividends and savings in a CD or, or a bank account. And then obviously there's all sorts of other ones listed, rental real estate, business profits, professional fees, commissions, bonuses, profit sharing, etc. Is there anything in all that from, from your study of these millionaires that is surprising 
or is it still back to the to the old school? Hey, you're going to make some income and you've got to figure out how to save it. Yeah, you know, I think a couple of things stand out. Um, you know, the first uh, that that always stands out is that income from trusts or estates. I think there still tends to be this idea that individuals who are wealthy have some rich uncle that continues, you know, <laughs> to provide uh, for them through uh, trust funds and things like that, for example. Um, but that's not the case, at least you know, in the in the research that we see here. So that to me was was interesting. You know, again, our, our sample really looked at not only business owners, but also um, high income earners in general. So, so it's not really too surprising to see those, that, those sort of breakdowns and think that some of the things that, that also stood out were those that were, uh, again, where they're not getting their money from, things like gifts of cash and uh, other kinds of, of things like that. So those were kind of some of the things that were a little bit surprising. And going right along with that, you have another table that goes into the percentage of assets held by millionaires. And once again, retirement accounts are, are by far the highest and securities as well in that, in that mix. And then real estate for personal use and going down it, you know, a lot of people have other, uh, cash, cash value and life insurance and closely held business partnerships. But the overwhelming majority of all these categories listed for the most part have 0% in, in each of these categories. Is there anything surprising in, in that asset mix that you saw in your study? Yeah, you know, I, I think that this is where my psychology uh, kicks in and my my limited uh, sort of financial planning and investment management skills kick in as well. But, um, you know, I think that in terms of what was surprising it was sort of the consistency and the things that... Uh, millionaires weren't investing in, right? So again, going back to kind of what they're not doing. And, and some of those include the ones, you know, related to intangible assets, um, those collectibles or artwork and things like that. It's a smaller percentage. Uh, those to me were sort of the the more uh, interesting kinds of things. So I want to j- jump in to some of this data. So first on the house, I know you said the average house price of those you, you interviewed is about 800. But from the research, it shows that about 40% bought their house or people, millionaires that have bought their house, they bought it under 400000 right? And and now right. it's appreciated and, and it's worth more than that. But, you know, it's surprising that almost half of, of millionaires have bought a house that's under half a million dollars. Right. I think, you know, in terms of kind of the, the timeline, I mean, it makes sense, right? Given the sample and their, their average sure. age is, is 61. But, um, you know, we see that, we see that with cars as well. So they're keeping their cars longer, which is probably not only a reflection of the longevity, if you will, of, of cars today, but, you know, it also speaks to not, you know, trading every year and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. The cars is super interesting, right? So in 96, Study shows that about 12% of millionaires held their cars six years or older, whereas in 16, that's up to nearly 30, about about 28%. Right. And so a, a huge jump there. Um, and then the current year and one-year-old cars of ownership has reduced. And then the type of car, in, in the 96 study, about 10% owned a Ford. That was kind of the highest brand owned. And now both Toyota, Honda, and Ford are, are about at 10% each. So it seems like 
like pretty frugal on the cars, right? If you had to make a yeah, general assumption. Exactly. Yep. Yep. We, um, again, that, that, I don't think that was too surprising. Uh, if you look back at the millionaire mind or stop acting rich. So some of the other uh, books that my father wrote, you kind of see that trend continue. So those are sort of consistent over time. So do you know, you mentioned 62 was the average age, right? Uh, yeah, I think 61, give, 62, give or, take. Yeah, give or take. Yep. Do you, do you know at all at what age maybe they reached their first million? Is that something you guys looked at? Yeah, you know, we didn't include that here in the in this study. It was included in in the study for stop acting rich. Um, and, and it, it, off the top of my head, I can't remember, but I think it's a it's a great thing to think about too, and it helps individuals understand, you know, how long it takes, and that it's not something that's going to happen and overnight. Yeah, and, and that's something we've noticed too. I mean, we've had millionaires on our show that have reached it at 35, and and then we have right. others that reach it at 65. And and I don't think there's a right or a wrong, right? It's just that some people it, it takes longer. They build their wealth, or some people, you know, there's a little luck involved, maybe if they're starting a business. And 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 so the message is that hey, look, people get there different ways, and it takes different amount of times, and and people invest differently, and how. Allocate their money differently, but it, it's still absolutely attainable, and, and the millionaire next door is alive. Yeah, that's that's a great point. I think you know we pretty clearly state that every path is different to wealth, just like what you're saying. And I think even those you know studies like the one that we did, and and other works that are out there that can help you learn from these individuals that you know did this on their own are really helpful and useful. But at the end of the day, it's the choices that you make and and the the way in which you manage what you do every day that will allow you to be successful. Yeah. And, and one of those things, one of those choices, it seems to be from, from your data is education, right? Mm -hmm. So in your 96 study, it shows about 38% have a graduate degree and now it's, it's 58. So <laughs> yeah, nearly 60%. And of course there's people that start businesses or they drop out of high school, right? And, and they don't go. You always hear that. Oh, I, you know, I don't need to go. You know, these guys didn't go and I can do it too. But 60% of a graduate degree, pretty high. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Definitely the, the change over time. I, I, I've heard, you know, a graduate degree is the new bachelor's degree, right? And, and it was kind of interesting to see that in our, in our data that, that really has changed over time. You know, I think that that's a reflection not only of the, you know, not the sample necessarily, but the types of jobs available and the kinds of things that you can do um, with those graduate degrees and that there are some, you know, gatekeepers now that require those kinds of things as well. Yeah. And then also with continuing education, right? And, and a lot of that comes down to reading and studying and, and yes. managing their money and being aware of it. And that's something that stood out to me when I read it is, is you know, people are, are reading for, they're also, they're reading for pleasure, but they're also reading to learn. I think that's just something we would echo from from our you know interviews is that look these people are constantly trying to improve themselves they're just, they're constantly trying to learn they're constantly trying to put themselves in situations where they can grow. Yep, and I think just like you know if they're looking for or if 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 you're researching investments or what the best strategy is for a certain aspect of your financial life, that's one thing that's obviously very important. But the other too is if you decide to outsource this to someone, right? So you say, okay, it's, I'd like to bring someone in, an expert in this field. I need a financial planner or a wealth manager or what have you. It's also important to read and research. I mean, you know, it's just like we talked about related to running your own business. So if you're bringing people onto your team, you've got to really spend the time to do the research to make sure that that's the right person. 
Sarah, what would be your advice to somebody who's just trying to get started and, and has a dream of becoming a millionaire after studying all these millionaires? Yeah, that's yeah. Um, I think my advice to them would be to really think about the kind of lifestyle that they're willing to accept given their income, because that really is going to dictate how quickly they get to that point. And uh, so that would be my first suggestion, which again isn't isn't terribly exciting. You know, I think the other thing is really to pay attention to how other people around you, whether that's people that you're working with or your friends or your neighbors or the people that are on social media with you are influencing the way in which you are, are living your life and, and spending your, your hard-earned money. I think that that's something that we continue to see as important. Um, it's not talked about as much. It's easier to talk about creating a financial plan and budgeting because those are really straightforward. But, uh, you know, really attending to the, that influence on, on your behaviors is something to be aware of too. In your book, you mentioned that over 80% of millionaires are, are self-made. So it really is kind of a decision that you've got to make for yourself and then put those habits and practices into place to kind of get there. Yep. I mean, again, what we find time after time is that behaviors like being frugal, uh, making confident decisions about your investments, planning, monitoring, like I said, what's going on in your financial life and being indifferent to those social influences, all those behavioral components allow you to build wealth over time. Where, where do you go from here? Do you have plans for another book in the future or another study? Or are you going to continue kind of doing this work? Definitely continue the work. You know, my, my company, Data Points, does behavior, we provide behavioral assessments that measure a lot of those factors, um, typically used by financial advisors or coaches. But our, our research will continue. We're already beginning different research studies in this field, looking at different aspects of uh, wealth uh, related to careers and, and um, other kind of family life type components as well. Where can people buy your book and maybe get in touch with your company if they're interested in learning more? They can go to datapoints.com. Uh, that's our, our company and that's where we have a blog and we talk about a lot of the research that we're doing. Um, or they can go to themillionairenextdoor.com and they can learn more information about the publications that my father had written as well as the new book. Awesome. Yeah, we highly recommend book, you know, for Clark and myself, Thomas Stanley was kind of and the, and the millionaire next door was mm -hmm. given to us as a as a child from our parents. And it's it's kind of been the inspiration to, to why we started this podcast in the first place, too. So it's kind of cool to, to see this kind of come full circle. That's Sarah Falaw, co-author of The Next Millionaire Next Door. Thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.